0: Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. So those of you who've been here with us for a while, you're familiar that we're a church planting church. You know that that concept, that idea that that we're not raising up disciples to see how big the church at 40th and Walnut can become. Uh, We're not evangelizing with the intent of growing a large church. That's not actually something that we care about. Uh, Our goal and our objective is to plant churches all over the world. And with that objective in mind, uh, we have a team right now uh, established and working towards that very end in Vietnam. and, And they're praying about Uh, God making the door completely open, and they're taking steps that direction. And so a lot of you already know uh, Pastor Andrew Ong. I probably don't need to introduce him, but there's probably enough people here that don't know him that I should. This is one of my best friends. And um, I'm super excited uh, by what God's doing in his life and, and in the life of the people that are going to Vietnam and so uh, he, every time that they can be with us, I'm going to give him an opportunity to share with us the process that they're going through. Because if this is going to be a process that a lot of us are involved with in the coming years, we've we got to get a glimpse of what it means uh, to be a part of, of this work and, and to see the practical aspects alongside the spiritual aspects. And so with that, I want to turn it over uh, to Andrew to share with you for a little bit.
1: So good to be here, seeing so many faces uh, in here. Uh, to say that I miss Kaya is, is probably an understatement uh, because I, I'm, I was, well, I should say I am still vested uh, in Kaya for more than 10 years. Uh, so many tears, uh, many uh, times, and, and sweat, you know. And uh, it's so good to see what God is doing in Kaya, and, and this is the first time I'm here since the new building, so this is so, so, so cool to see this, and uh, <clears throat> do you know Kaya uh, started uh, meeting in a, um, in a conference room at Midtown, it's like a five foot by ten foot place with about maybe seven, seven people, seven, eight people, uh, and that's where we're meeting uh, right now, you know, so never despise Small beginnings, amen? And so if you are a a team, you know, member of the Vietnam team, can you stand up? I just want to let everyone see who you are, if you're part of the Vietnam team. Okay. Okay, awesome. You know, so so Brandon asked me to kind of share a bit how we are preparing, what's the process. So I'll just share a bit of high-level overview, you know. So the first thing, man, we got to trust God uh, to prepare ourselves. And so I asked God, God, what, what do you want us to do while we're here, while the country is still not open? And so, man, we got to get back to the word. God, what, what book do you want me to start? And, and the book of Ruth is what God uh, has for us. And if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth have to make some serious decision, right, uh, to leave her country. It was a big deal. Right? And if you know the context of that book, you know that she didn't have to go. Just as the team members of Vietnam, they don't have to go. Right, It's a free country. There's free will. You don't have to go. But do you want to go? And as Pastor Brendan has eloquently said, that we have church because we want to prepare missionaries to go all over the world. That's what we're doing here this Sunday, you know, every single day. That's what we're preparing for. Right and so, so the chapter uh, starts with Ruth decides. Right, Ruth has to decide in chapter one, and then Ruth uh, uh, serves. Ruth starts serving in uh, Ruth chapter two, and then Ruth chapter three is Ruth uh, rests. Right, and then uh, chapter four we see Ruth gets rewarded. Right and 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 Naomi, you know the whole kinsman redeemer there. I mean, it's just a beautiful picture. Do you see that? But how did it start? It starts with a decision, didn't it? And that is what we're doing, man. We are counting the cost. I mean, I'm just saying to you, it is at times terrifying to uproot your family, and I'm saying that for our whole team. I mean, there are nights where there's sweats and like, oh man, what am I doing, right? And we have to do, you know, come to the conclusion that God is worth it, right? I want to share just briefly uh, just a verse uh, or two from Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16, verse 16 to 18. And this is after Naomi kind of say, hey, you don't have to go. You don't have to go. You don't have to go. I got nothing for you. I got nothing for you. There's no promise of a husband for you. I, I can't really provide anything for you. And yet, Ruth says this at the end of it. And Ruth said, "Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. Whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And, and this is, this is, this is, where man, this is, Heavy, where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if aught but death part thee and me. She's all in. Do you see that? She's all in. And so now let say, hey, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. And that is what uh, we are preparing right, to be steadfastly minded, right, so that when we're there and we're, we're preparing for hardship, uh, if you don't know, Vietnam, Vietnam is a communist country, but there is an open door. I don't want to scare anyone from coming. Uh, there is a wide open door because they, they love foreign investment and they love foreign people coming. And so uh, do come, right? Uh, but that's what we're trusting God for so that when we start serving, in Vietnam, that God will give us favor that as he gave to Ruth, right? When, when Ruth starts serving, and she asked Naomi, hey, can I go, go to the field? Man, she was ready. When she landed, I mean, to Bethlehem, Judah, she didn't wait. Like, hey, can I go, you know? And then, and then I, I like this, I tell my team a lot, and she happed to be in the right field, means that she happens with good fortune to be in the right place at the right time to meet the kinsman redeemer, and that's what we're preparing for, we're praying for, right, if you can pray with us, that we're preparing, number one, to be steadfastly minded, man, so that we're not just like to and fro, oh God, what what happened, what happened here, God, you know, like like Sam would say, you know, you got a plan, and but, uh, you know, once you get punched in the face, you're like, what What? What happened, you know? And so we want to get punched and say, oh, no, I still know. Yeah, I'm steadfastly minded. Where, where you die, I'll die, right? So it's not an easy thing, right? And I, I don't take that lightly for myself, my family, or the team, but that's, that's how we're preparing uh, for our, our um, transition to Vietnam. I also want to let you know that as we wait, we are just continuing to evangelize and to disciple. So as we wait, because the country is still closed, I just want to let you know what we do on a weekly basis. So on on Sunday, like this morning at 7 a.m., we have a rotation of people praying with the disciples in Vietnam. And if you want in, uh, you can let Fong know. Fong stand up. um, Just real quick, she coordinates that. If you want to pray, get in a bit more, like what's going on uh, with what God is doing there, uh, please, you know, you can come and just pray right? Um, And then number two is every Wednesday, we have an online English club. And uh, they are so big on English. They just want to learn English. You talk to everyone in Vietnam who is young, they all want to learn English. And so that is our carrot to evangelize. And so uh, Wednesday uh, night uh, or, or our morning uh, their night in Vietnam, we have an online English club and you're welcome to participate uh, in that as well. So that is the the, the, the the fishing net and then it funnels to our weekly Friday Bible study that I lead and uh, man, so thankful for that and, and that's how I get to continue to encourage and edify Nam and Yumi as well. And um, so pleased to let you know there are there are visitors that that's coming to the Bible study through the English Club, and um, there is two now two as of this week. There's two candidates for COD. Is not that amazing? I mean, God. I mean, it is amazing. You know, I uh, man, I can't explain it. But we we just share the Word of God, right? We envision them their need to be a disciple, and I got this guy in tears, man. I that's what I've been looking for for a long time. And uh, so he's going to come to COD uh, uh, this this Saturday, uh, d- uh, December 5th. And then there's another girl who's doing that as well. But please pray for that. Uh, you know, this is not our first time having this opportunity. The first one, that person flake out. You know, can you pray that these people would be ones that are faithful, that would that would join, and that we can really... Uh, invest in their life disciple them and they can be disciples indeed right amen that 's what we want to start that we will have a generation to disciple that Nam is going to be able to disciple and then Yumi is going to be able to uh, disciple the the other person uh, as well um, so Nam and Yumi are key disciples if you don't know we we you know let them to the lord Yumi here and then we sent her back to Vietnam and then Nam I got to lead him to the Lord about four years ago. Uh, they are now going through LFBI. You know, how cool is that? And he's he's passing. Is he passing? He's doing really good. You know, and, and just, just for context, you know, for those of you who think LFBI is tough and all this stuff, this dude doesn't even know English when I met him. Okay, so you have no excuse for getting a C or a D, right? You should do way better than him, but he's He's passing. I know. I, I don't. I don't know the great ace in most of his classes. This is the first time I'm hearing. Wow! Praise the Lord. Okay. So, so man, if you're diligent, you can pass with flying colors, right? And man, I'm so thankful because this is the guy that I'm trusting God to be. You know, one of you know one one of the pastors. That's how I'm trusting God for that. He is going to be one of the pastors uh, in Vietnam. Um, uh, tomorrow night we're gonna meet with Arion Vogli. I don't know whether you know Arion Vogli. Uh, he is uh, trusting God to translate uh, the whole Albanian the whole Albanian Bible to uh, a King James to Albanian. I'm not saying this right. Thank you, babe. That's my wife. Thank you. See, help me. That's good. Okay, they are translating the Bible from the the King James. To Albania, that's right. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so this guy, this guy, uh, he's like a software genius, and so he created this software that's able to kind of track every word in the Bible. So there's like seven hundred eighty thousand uh, words in the Bible. There's about twelve thousand plus unique words in the Bible. So he's using software to do all that. So technically, if you translate the twelve thousand plus, you can have one version of the King James Bible, if you will. Does that make sense? Maybe I said it too fast, but you can have that, but it's not very legible, not very uh, readable because, you know, you still have to work on it. But we're working with that, uh, working with them with the hopes that we would have a certainty word of the truth, and that's important. That's not an American issue only or English-speaking, you know, uh, only issue. It is all over the world. We gotta be certain what the bible is saying and so that's what we're doing pray uh for that effort and then lastly uh, one of the most frequently asked questions that i get is when are you going <laughs> you <know? laughs> like they wanted me to leave so bad like when are <laughs> when are you going uh you know and uh, well first vietnam is still closed so i can't uh really go i mean the, basically a thing is end of summer the the government is saying that they're going to open up, uh, the country. And so that's the earliest that we can go. But number two, uh, we got to raise support. Okay. We got to raise support to do that. It's expensive, uh, to do overseas ministry. I mean, there's a lot of costs involved to do that. And so we're raising support. Um, Sam just, uh, knows a lot of people. And so he's sending a mass email to, uh, the church, man, he, Churches, and so uh, we are kind of officially doing our deputation thing uh, beginning next week. We're going to travel to Florida, and then hopefully, we're going to get uh, more people uh, knowing what God is doing in Vietnam. But, 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 can I get you involved too? Can I, you know, prayerfully ask you to consider supporting us as well? You know, I've been uh, so privileged to uh, support missionaries. Uh, for 20 over years you know when i was earning not not too much but i can tell you i never miss a cent of those money that was invested i i i truly feel that the bible is right it was fruit that abound to my account not only in eternity future but now because you know i you know like it's my money like sometimes you have that feeling that you work hard it's your money well it's not it's not, it's not my money. We're just stewards of our money. And when, we, you know, when I start trusting God more than a tithe, because you don't steal the tithe to give to missions, right? You don't do that. You, that's above and beyond your tithe. So I did that. And praise the Lord. He has blessed that. And th- by the way, in preparation to be a missionary, that's what you got to do first. Uh, you gotta learn how to give above and beyond your tie. And if you don't have that, man, what's the point of going? You, you, you see what I'm saying? Where your treasure is, there's your heart also, right? So we 20 years of giving and say God say, Hey, okay, now you can go. All right, now you can go. So that's how you know we we, we pray for. So, man, and I wanna say, uh, don't worry about paying, like supporting a lot. Man, just remember the story of the two mites, right? Man, if it's just one coffee, I don't know how much coffee costs these days. I don't drink coffee. Five bucks, I say. it. Five, six bucks, okay, five bucks. If it's, how much? Six and eight bucks, okay. So if you can, I think it should, yeah, there you go. I don't know what, Starbucks, basically. Starbucks, yeah, I have to pay for that. It's expensive. Ministry is expensive. Okay. But man, if you can, man, support us with one cup of Starbucks per month, man, uh, we would be so thankful. Okay. So with that, I'm going to pass it back to Pastor Brandon. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah.
0: Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we love you. And uh, we're grateful for uh, what you're doing and just to be a part of it at any level, Lord, just to, to have friends who are willing, just to have people that we're praying and lifting uh, up before you, uh, Lord, people that have invested in us. We call, them, we call them brothers and sisters, and, and uh, it's both painful and joyous to see them uh, in this season of life. And, and so, God, I pray that we would all be faithful to asking you for help. Yeah. And that we would be faithful to helping in the ways that we can. And uh, so, God, we're, we're pleading with you and we're calling upon you. Lord, please uh, prepare a land, prepare a people mm. uh, to receive the, the seed of your word and that it would grow and that we would have a work uh, that, that 10 years from now we can brag on you mm. about,
1: Amen. Yes. Uh, that
0: we can, we can recollect all that you've done, that... that, that uh, this moments like this one would be a monument to uh, future endeavors. And so, Lord, uh, we pray for help, and we pray for wisdom, and we pray for protection, and we pray for fruitfulness. And we ask all of it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Love you, dude. All right. First Corinthians. Let's do it. Got the font right this week, so I'm proud of that. So if you've been with us the last few weeks uh you you know that we are just beginning this journey through the letter uh to the church in Corinth that paul wrote and uh he uh starts the letter pretty pretty seriously he goes right he goes right for them. uh he's gracious and generous and kind, and even in fact refers to them as being gracious a church under the grace of Jesus Christ, gifted people, uh, blessed people. But yet they had some problems. They had some issues in the church. And last week we talked about the fact that there was some division taking place in the relationships among the people. And uh, what had happened was that the world was beginning to affect Their perspective, the world had crept in and began to affect the way that they think about doing church. And so uh, what we saw was that they were dividing into factions. Remember that? That the people within the church were dividing into smaller groups. And they were saying, well, in the church, so-and-so is my leader. And another person would say, well, so-and-so is my leader. And they were claiming. Uh, to be divided. Now, we realized last week, historically speaking, that that was a pagan idea that they had gleaned in Greece. Remember, we talked about how in Corinth, it was very common, just like most of Greek cities, it was common for someone who was religious or an intellectual to connect themselves to a guru, either through religious rites or through... Uh, maybe an academy, a school that they were a part of. And so they would claim that uh, pro- professorial individual that they followed. They followed so-and-so's teaching or they followed, followed so-and-so's religious teaching. Um, now, this was, this was a big deal to Paul. You know, we hear about that and we think, oh, well, what's the big deal? We do the same thing. Well, that, that's exactly the problem. That's the problem is that we do the same thing. Uh, we do that in ministry here at church. Well, I'm of Kenny Morgan life fellowship, or I'm, I'm of Jeff Gracer, or I'm of Brandon Briscoe, or, or maybe we do that culturally through the things that we, we have in our life, you know, uh, I'm this type of person, I'm that type of person, and then we follow after things of the world, and then we bring that mindset, it seeps back into the church, and then we begin to divide, right, we begin to divide, and we, we're not working towards unity, in unity anymore, and so Paul was very concerned about this, and so he addressed it. Now, we're going to be continuing within that dialogue. You see, this, is, this connects to that train of thought uh, that we saw last week. And uh, we want to be reminded that we all have a tendency to be impacted by the perspectives of the world. All of us. And whether we know it or not, we're bringing those perspectives into the body of Christ. And we're in danger of letting those things taint the way we do ministry and we do life together. We are all constantly exposed to the world's teachings and outlooks, and we're all prone to adopting them. And when we do, we quietly accept their ways, perspectives on what is right and wrong, and we begin to be affected or even infected. And so our values will begin to change the more time we spend around the world. And suddenly, our wisdom is no longer from the Lord, but from the world. That's where we find or glean our wisdom. And so in today's sermon, we're going to look at what, uh, what the world thinks about wisdom and, and what they think foolishness is. And then we're going to take a look at what God says on the matter. And so the question for today is what does God's wisdom, God's wisdom, imply for my life? How does God see wisdom? And how does that impact the way that I live, the way that I think? And the way that I do ministry. Okay. Let's pray one more time. Can we do that? We've had a lot going on this morning. Been busy up here. We need to pray that the Lord would quiet our hearts so that we can hear his word. Otherwise, we will be distracted. It's kind of dark in here. We're going to get some spotlights and things. and We're just not there yet. Okay, It's a little bit dark in here. We can't afford to miss what God has for us today. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. Awaken our hearts. Awaken our minds. Lord, allow us. Uh, to, to uh, be thirsty, to be hungry for what it is that you have for us today. And uh, Lord, we drink at so many different wells and we eat at so many different tables that when we come here, we're often not hungry uh, for what you have. And our, our cup is already full of what the world has to offer. And so our wisdom, our wisdom is lacking And we are in danger of of corrupted, our corrupted thinking. And and so, Lord, we need you to refresh us. And, Lord, more importantly, we need you to renew our mind, uh, Lord, that we might see the way that you see. And, uh, Lord, we need to to hear from you, but we need to live it out. We need to obey the truths of your word uh, today. And so, God, I, I pray that you would show us favor in this time, you would humble us, and you would cause us to follow after you harder because of the time that we've spent together in your word We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. As we begin, let us be reminded that the church in Corinth was having a hard time distinguishing between what was and wasn't virtuous. Their minds were tainted, their thoughts were tainted, they were confused, and they were going their own way, and they were dividing over proud thoughts, right? Wasn't that the problem? Weren't they being proud? Weren't they they pounding their chest and saying what tribe that they were a part of and making claims for who they were following? That was just causing greater division? It was pride at the source of it, wasn't it? In verse 17, Paul tells them not to rely on the wisdom of their fleshly or eloquent speech. Okay, now this is critical. And we're going to see this later on, but a lot of the divisions that were taking place were surrounding the preference of the teachers that they sat under. So I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Gaius. They had preference based on the speech of the individuals that they spent time with in ministry. Paul's going to point out to us that that way of thinking, that's the wisdom of the world. okay, And that's a dangerous way of thinking, and that we need to even be careful about the way that we perceive speech and the words that we use. So follow with me here. For Christ sent me not to baptize. He's speaking of himself. He's saying, I didn't come to Corinth to baptize people. In fact, I'm glad that I didn't do a lot of baptizing. I came to see people come to Christ to disciple them and establish a church plant. That's what I was about. And there was never a point at which I was asking people to say, well, Paul, he baptized me. He wasn't looking for that kind of attention. He wasn't looking for that kind of reverence. So he says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now what we all know about ourselves is that we struggle with believing that we have things all figured out. All of us do this. All of us are convinced that we're wiser than we really are, that we're smarter than we we really are, and that everybody would just be a lot better if they thought the way that we thought. We all struggle with this. It might not be overtly, okay? But subconsciously, this is the way that we think. And we think unity is somehow contingent on everyone's ability to get on the same page with us. And because of that, because of that way of thinking and that proud thinking, we often look past our own failures, don't we? We often find ourselves thinking higher of ourselves and patting ourselves on the back. And this is actually what leads us when we do ministry, when we preach the gospel, when we engage with people, when we present an apologetic, we're convinced that that we ought to be reliant on the eloquence of our speech or the acumen of our knowledge. We think that we have to have things all figured out, and a lot of us are convinced that we do. And what Paul's saying here is that we ought not to rely on the wisdom of our words, the wisdom of our speech, our ability in our flesh. We ought not rely on those things. Why? Because they, they are in danger of making the cross of none effect. Now, I think that this is an incredible point. And I already know in advance of preaching this message, I'm in danger of belaboring this, okay? Because I think it's so important. Because we know, especially among young people, that there is an anxiety and a fear that we're not going to be as smart as the next person. Right? We're constantly comparing ourselves among ourselves. And we believe that along the way we have to be perfect. We have to have all the things figured out. And I want you to know that that will only lead to heartbreak for you. That will only just lead to disappointment. Because there is always going to be someone who speaks better than you and is smarter than you. There's always going to be someone that's more attractive than you there's always going to be someone who's got the leg up or, or has more resources than you. And, and the problem is that so many of us have become reliant on that way of thinking in the world that, again, it spills over into the church. And we think wisdom looks like having everything figured out and being perfect. And guess what? You're going to do yourself a big favor if you just decide right now that you can't be perfect. And that whatever you think is wise, and whatever you think is good, and whatever you think is knowledgeable, and whatever you perceive to be intellectual and smart and awesome, in light of Jesus Christ, is actually just kind of lame. It doesn't stack up, it's not about stacking up, it's not about having all the right words. You know, a lot of times we'll hear young believers who, who, you know, they're afraid to engage in ministry or share their faith because they don't know yet uh, much about God's word and they don't feel as though they can defend it. Right? There's a lot of young believers who are in that place. And that's the beginning of false thinking. Because the truth is, if they know what Jesus Christ has done in their life, those simple words, God has done this for me, is more than sufficient to see God glorified. But the moment that we start thinking that we have to have eloquent speech or that we have to be perfect or that it has to be just right, you're in danger of getting in God's way. And so that leads us to key point number one. We are in danger, all of us, every one of us, are in danger of overshadowing the cross with our worldly wisdom, with our worldly wisdom. I mean, that's exactly what Paul presents here. You know, the thing about Paul, we're going to talk about this later, is that Paul knew that he wasn't the best speaker. You know, that's crazy for us to think because Paul's our ensample, and we like to think of him as being pretty awesome, right? I mean, God really used him. I mean, to plant, to plant churches in f- five major regions of the world and to, to give his life for Christ and the, and the way that he wrote was definitely, I mean, if he had any strength, it was in his ability to write. I mean, he was a very smart person. But, but in front of people, he just wasn't a great speaker. I, I don't know if you remember in Acts, uh, his speaking uh, caused a young boy to fall asleep and fall from a window and die. I mean, it's easy to assume that he was maybe a little bit boring. But the funny thing about that is in the church of Corinth they had Apollos and Apollos was probably among all of the teachers in the New Testament the most eloquent of speakers. And so the point that Paul's making is that I didn't come to you to sound wise and smart. I didn't come to you thinking I had it all figured out. I came to you to preach the cross. Because if I had any other agenda It would only just overshadow what God wanted to do in your life, and so we've got it right now. I want you to ask yourself: What kind of agendas do you have in ministry? You want to climb the ministry ladder? You know, have you have you somehow set goals for yourself that don't actually look like just preaching the cross? I mean, we get bogged down, and again, we bring that worldly thinking right into this place, and then suddenly we're thinking the way the world does, and we think that. That we need people to perceive us some certain way or to to think some certain thought about us. And the truth is, that's not what God wants. God wants foolish preaching. So it's from here that Paul begins to warn the people of Corinth that uh, that the wisdom of the world, of Greek society and culture, is toxic. And if they're not careful, they could fall prey to pride. And that there are consequences for worldly thinking. So let's get a little bit of a historical background here before we continue to move forward in the passage. It's important for us to remember that Corinth was composed of Jews and Greeks, okay? There were Jews and Grecians there, two different people, two different people groups with very particular uh, uh, ideas about what wisdom was, okay? And so we know from the Old Testament scriptures that the Bible you know, the, the Jewish Bible has a lot to say about wisdom. Yeah. Tuesday nights, we've been studying the Proverbs, right? And the Proverbs is all about what it means to be a wise believer, right? And so, so the Jews would have had very strong opinions about wisdom and about foolishness. And so they would have, they would have had uh, very strong uh, conceptions as they came to the table at the church, okay, they would have, they, as, as Paul begins to address this issue of worldly wisdom, they would have had very strong beliefs, uh, presumptions about what they thought was and wasn't wise. And here's the problem. In fact, okay, the we've been studying... That in the years of the captivity, the Jewish tradition had turned to following men. And that their ideas about wisdom had been affected by teachings from the Talmud and the rabbinical traditions. And so their wisdom was tainted. You understand? On the other hand, we have the Grecians, right? The Greeks from Corinth who had been affected by the academies and the culture of the time. And they would have had, from all of them, innumerable number of philosophical teachers of the day. I mean... um, I spent time trying to find out all of the major names, the first century Grecian philosopher names. And uh, I just, you know, Wikipedia is a huge help for this. And then I started going reading the writings or whatever we knew about them. It was a, it was a trap. I shouldn't have done it. Because <laughs> I don't really have anything to say about it. Other than the fact that I counted on, uh, on the list that I looked at something like 75 to 100 major philosophers in the first century alone. Not to mention the thousands of philosophers that would have come before them, um, you know, from the the school of Socrates and Plato and and the golden age of philosophy. And so these are people that were convinced by their teachers that they knew what wisdom was. And, And for the Grecians during this time period, it looked like what we refer to as humanism. The belief that humanity has the ability in their own intellect and in their own strength to come to a place of knowledge and come to a place of wisdom and to make the world a better place. There's all different types of approaches and things that were taught, but that was the essence of it. And that's what these believers in the church of Corinth would have had as their background, you understand? But Paul, as usual, has a way of cutting through the noise and getting right to the heart of the matter. And that's what we find here in verse 18. For the preaching of the cross... Is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And so from this passage, we learn that there's two types of individuals in the world. The first individual is a person who's convinced that the preaching of the cross is foolishness, that's worldly wisdom. There's a second individual, and that person believes that the cross is the answer for our salvation, and that's godly wisdom. Now let's look closer at that first person. From a standard first century perspective, the cross was foolishness. See, the cross, to talk about the crucifixion, right, which is this, was this Roman invention, all right? And we know at the time the Romans ruled the known world right the sun rose and it set on the Roman Empire and to talk about the crucifixion would have been something that was not appropriate for the dinner table if you will it was hush hush it was it was vulgar it was base and anyone who died at the hand of the Roman Empire by the cross was automatically considered a person of shame to the Jews and to the Greeks It was a disgusting thing. And so for a lot of people to hear about Jesus Christ and to hear about the cross and to hear about the vulgarity of his death would have been disgusting to their ears and they would have heard that story as foolishness. And they would have said to themselves, there is no way that God came to this world in the form of a man and died at the hands of the cross. No God would ever do that. No God would ever put themselves willingly through that. It's absolute foolishness. That's the way they would have seen it. And I want to say that that's not a whole lot different than the way people think today. The people that we encounter... In our spheres of influence, whether it be in school, whether it be in your workplace, maybe it's in your family. That in those spheres of influence, there are many people that you know that believe that, believe that the cross is just foolishness. It's just some vulgar folktale that has somehow permeated Western culture and there are some people in the world that are still just stupid enough to believe it. And somehow they believe that they're on some sort of higher plane, you know? <laughs> they, they believe that they exist outside of that foolishness, that they've transcended it somehow, and that they're smarter, and that they know better. And these are the people that we engage constantly. And they believe that what you believe... Is foolishness. But for you, it's salvation. You know, it's a heartbreaking reality. It's a heartbreaking reality to know that people are going to willingly go to hell because the cross is vulgar to them. And you know, Jesus talks about the Jews and the Jewish people. You know, this is before his crucifixion. He talks about how the Jews were going to refuse him. And this is how he speaks about it in Matthew twenty-one, verse forty-three. He says, "Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to another nation. Given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof." Now let's what he says. And whosoever shall fall on this stone, shall be broken. Now I want you to say that he says that in the affirmative. Okay, that's a good thing. What he's saying is that the believer, the person who believes, is a person that's willing to be broken, to willing to throw themselves on the foolishness of the gospel and be broken before God and to be humbled by him and to call him Lord and to be a servant to him and to know that they are his prisoner and that they belong to the rock. That's the first person. But there's another type of person. And it says, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Those are hard words from our Savior. That there are some that are willing to believe, to accept the foolishness of preaching, to throw themselves on the rock and to be broken willingly. But there are some who refuse, who call it stupid, who call it foolish, to call it ignorant, to call it, to call it bigotry, whatever the word of the weak is. And upon that individual, the rock will fall. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether in this life or at the judgment, the great white throne judgment. Everyone's going to bow, either willingly or unwillingly. Man, that's, hard. that's tough for us today. That's hard for us today. That's hard for us to think about. It's grievous to think about. But listen, here's the deal. Your perspective on Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection is of greater consequence than anything else on this earth. It's of greater consequence than your education. It's of greater consequence than your career. It's of greater consequence than who you will marry. It's of greater consequence than whether or not you'll have children or whether or not you own possessions or things. It is of the greatest consequence than anything else you will ever face, any other decision that you ever make in the entirety of your life. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal. And some call it foolish. And for those people, for those people, God has a call out and a challenge and it's that way of thinking that's, that creeps into the church that Paul wants to address. And he does so here in verse 19. He addresses the skeptic, skepticism and he addresses the contempt for the cross. It says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This, this phrase, for it is written, makes reference to an Old Testament passage. Okay, that's Isaiah chapter 29 Verse 14. Which says, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of the wise, wise men, shall perish. And the understanding of their prudent, or prudent means intellectual, shall be hid. This is why the professors in your classroom don't know Christ. Because smart and intellectual does not make someone right. Wisdom of this world does not make someone holy. And yet somehow we confuse it, don't we? We bring that worldly thinking in here. We ought not. Because Jesus Christ will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And that leads us to this next key point. We can truly, truly, truly do nothing, be nothing, and achieve nothing without Christ. And the more that we rely on worldly advice and counsel, the more lonely we get. And the more determined we are to fulfill our own passions, the more disappointed we will be. And the more we invest in the pleasures of this life, the more dissatisfied every single one of us will become. The message of Christ may be a fool's story to you, but it is the answer for everything to me. It's the answer. It's the answer to everything. It's the answer to the way that I feel late at night, When I see that I'm weak, it's the answer for my sin problem. When I know I need forgiveness, it's the answer for my purpose. When I know that this world has got me stuck in the cycle when I don't know which way to go. It's the answer for my problems and my relationships. It's the answer for, for where I'm headed. It's the light to my feet. It's my everything. And it's a fool's story to some. That's a devastating thought. See, the cross is really the issue, isn't it? The cross is the agent of redemption in this world. And it represents for us as believers all that truly is wise. For us, you know, it might be foolish to some. But to us, it represents that death, burial, and resurrection. Our Savior bleeding out on that cross, covered in wounds. Thrust in His side. A crown of thorns plat upon his head, mocked and reviled. That is our wisdom. And it is the beginning of all wisdom. Is to fear him and the power and the authority of his resurrection. That is the beginning of wisdom. And speaking of the power of our salvation, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having given you all trespasses, forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting writing or ordinance that was against you. Amen. You know there's a record against you, right? There's an eternal journal where God has recorded everything that you've ever done. And that's blotted out by the power of the cross. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You know, (laughs) when Jesus Christ died that death, The veil of the temple tore as a declaration, as a declaration against religiosity and the exclusionary nature of, of men and their works. He tore it, he tore the veil. In his resurrection, he triumphed over principalities and powers, and he declared, Death, where is thy sting? That's wisdom. That's power. That's authority. And in light of the cross, the wisdom of the world crumbles. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 Where is the wise? Where is he? I mean, it's just like death. Where's your sting? It's the same kind of tongue in cheek play on words, right? Where, where is the wise? In light of the cross, I don't, I don't, I don't see that they have any standing. Where is the scribe? The scribe would have been the academic, right? The trained one, the learned one. Where is the scribe? And where is the disputer of this world? (laughs) Now, I love this because the word disputer here is a reference to Greek society because skepticism of the time was such a big deal. A major philosophical perspective was Skepticism. Okay, questioning everything, critiquing everything, functioning from a critical perspective. That was a way of gaining wisdom and truth, right? And so here he's making reference right against that. Where is the disputer of this world? But I love that he uses the word the because it turns this phrase disputer into a a proper noun. Where is the disputer of the world? Where is Satan? Satan. Where is the accuser of the brethren? Where is the father of lies? I don't see him anywhere. See, God's proven them all wrong. He proved them all wrong 2,000 years ago. Did you know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most verifiable historical Truths of our entire, uh, in the entire world. There are, there are literally more first and second hand accounts of Jesus Christ than there are of George Washington. I mean, y'all got taught that George Washington had wood teeth and they chopped down a cherry tree or something I out I mean we don't know we know so little about George Washington and he founded our country like like 250 years ago right like th- that wasn't that long ago and the information that we have about Jesus Christ the evidence of his resurrection is so plenteous But it's the cross, see? The cross is the problem, isn't it? The cross is the problem, and Jesus is a a problem in this world. (sighs) Jesus is a problem. And I love him. And the cross, the cross is my pride. It's my pride. I own it. I wear it. And I'm thankful at the opportunity to display its foolishness everywhere I go. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Jeremiah 8, 9, The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken low. They have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? What wisdom is in them? And so Paul, Paul closes with this challenge. This is where we'll close today. It says in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In a beautiful shift in rhetoric, Paul begins to embrace the title of foolishness. He owns it. He declares that the work of preaching and teaching the gospel, meeting people on college campus, right? Going into your workplace and inviting people into Bible study. He declares all these things wisdom. Going door to door in neighborhoods, going hit the streets Don't every time we make that announcement all of us a little bit of contempt f- flutters in our in our thoughts seems foolish doesn't it seems foolish to go from door to door and tell people about Jesus seems like seems backwards seems, seems something from a different time period and that's the point isn't it that's the point all of it's foolish but it pleases God. The moment one person comes to Christ for your foolishness, Mm -hmm. man, you've never been more wise in your life. So key point, we can please the eternal God by choosing foolishness every day. The foolishness of preaching. You know that preaching is not just my job, right? You know, we t- we use the word preach and everyone thinks pastor, right? That's the that's what pastors do. But preaching is the foolishness of telling other people about Jesus. And that is a responsibility that every saint must own, not just me. This is your responsibility. This is what he made you for. This is your purpose in life. He's crafted you for this very work. He set you free to do this very thing. And it brings him joy every time you're willing to open your mouth up in foolishness. Everybody in here who's a believer and has been discipled knows the feeling of what it's like to engage someone, especially someone who we know is smart and is going to have some sort of of retort, all right? Or some sort of, you know, they're going to have a defense against you. We all know the feeling of what it feels like when the Spirit tells us to speak. It's painful. It's a sickening feeling. It's almost like, you know, it's it's like you're hungry inside. It's that pit in your stomach, and you know that you're supposed to speak. Do you always do it? I don't. I don't. And when I do that, I am in danger of being just like the Corinthians. I'm in, dis- in, in danger of despising the cross all over again. For the Jews require a sign, right? Don't they? The Jews require a sign. That's why the apostles did what they did. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. We recognize that culturally. But we preach Christ. That falls outside of both those things. Don't know what to tell you. But we, we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, it was a stumbling block. They fell all over it. They didn't know what to do with it. And under the Greeks, it was foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is greater, or is, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. If you think faith in Christ is foolish, so be it. Even his foolishness is wiser than you. I mean, obviously, God isn't foolish. This is a play on the words, right? And he's, he's, he's using this, in, again, in a tongue-in-cheek manner. He's saying, you think you're so wise to know. You, you think because you figured out the human genome that you can craft a person with your very words? Foolish. You think that because you've sent satellites way out into space and past Mars, that you know the depth of God's knowledge and the entirety of his universe? You think that you, because you know the fables and the teachings of the old ways and the philosophers of old, That you can look upon the cross with hatred and contempt, you don't even know that that very day he set the whole world free. You can't even see it. You're blind. You're foolish. See, your wisdom is nothing, it's nothing. If you think that Christ is weak and of none effect, so be it. Think whatever you want. But even his weakness is stronger than all of mankind put together. That's fine. If you believe that the gospel of Jesus is foolish or weak, I have a question for you. What's your solution? What's your solution? What's your solution to the sin problem in our world? More activism? That's working real well. What's your solution to sadness and pain? More drugs? More therapy sessions? What's your solution? What is your purpose for life? That you found that's just so much better than following God. I want to know. See, let me explain it from my perspective. Why not the gospel? That's my perspective. Why not the gospel? To me, it seems more obvious than we give it credit. The death, burial, and the resurrection, the bloody cross of Jesus Christ, it is power. And that message has endured for 2,000 years. That brings it some level of validity in my mind. And just because in the last 50 years of postmodernism that we somehow discovered relativism and everything's... We're so much smarter now or something. That somehow, that puts to discredit the power of the cross. We're so stupid. See, why not Jesus? Why not Jesus? There's some of you in this room. Listen, I know that this is a tough message for me to preach. It's a tough thing to talk about. But there's some of you in the room right now who are considering Jesus Christ for the very first time. You're hearing this. I know it sounds bold, and I I had to preach it that way because that's how it's written. You understand? But with boldness, I want to implore you that the world has nothing to offer you and the wisdom of this world will perish. And that God has something so much better for you in the message of the cross. And so I want to beg you today, that if you don't know if you're saved, that you avoid destruction today by choosing him and repenting of your sin. And there's some of us in this room also who call yourselves Christians, but you've made the cross of none effect because you've put the wisdom of the world above God's wisdom. And you're dependent on your flesh and your acumen and your, your intellect. You're dependent on that for righteous living and ministry. And you're getting in the way. You're getting in the way. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. And today is a day for you to reclaim the baseness and the contempt and the foolishness of the cross. You can do that today. Let's put Christ first. And let's put aside our ways and our wisdom. And so whoever you are, whether you're a person who knows you need to meet Jesus Christ, or you're a person who needs to repent of thinking that your ways have been better somehow, let's get that right today. David, if you and the worship team would come up, we're going to have counselors. They'll be up here, across the back they'll look like people to speak to? Okay? Now listen to me. I, I mean, this, is a, this, is a, this was a tough message for me to preach, okay? Not to mention it's just hotter than a biscuit in here. Okay, I don't know what that's about, but it's hot. But listen to me. Do not leave this room. Look, this is the most sober message I could possibly preach from maybe from the entirety of the New Testament. Like, it's the most serious thing that we could possibly address. Everything in this world is telling you to follow the ways of your flesh and the wisdom of this world. Everything's telling you that. It's a constant voice. Are you today going to put that away and choose to follow the simplicity and the foolishness of the cross? If you are, if you're willing, come speak with someone. Yes. The Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for an opportunity to just talk about it and to look to you and to remind ourselves of just how crazy what we believe is. It's crazy from a world's perspective. For me, it's the most brilliant thing ever. It's it's the most brilliant thing ever. The idea that your plan to send your son on a rescue mission for humanity and that the only way to set us free would be for him to spill his life And to give his life when we were the ones who deserved to die is brilliant. And every fiber of my being knows that it's true. Despite the fact that sometimes my mind tells me that it isn't. Lord, put to shame the wisdom of this world. And make your name famous. And Lord, change us from the inside out that we might follow you with everything we have and and to believe in that foolish cross to the very end of our life and to the ends of this world. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at c-a-y-a dot L-I-V-E.